Activism forms an integral part of our identity as Caribbean people. It's played a pivotal role in many historical events that have helped shape our region, such as the abolishment of the transatlantic slave trade and the end of colonial rule in many of our developing states. And it continues to drive social, political and environmental change. As small island developing states, activism must play a major role in our pursuit of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. It's perhaps the most powerful tool we can use to tackle major issues such as climate change and impact lives by creating access to important resources such as education. The importance of activism is very clear to Caesar. It's the entire reason for our existence as a platform. So we're especially pleased to see young activists doing their part to create much-needed change. We recently reached out to two of these remarkable individuals to learn more about their journey and to see what drives them forward. First, we spoke with Kimar Hines, a student of management studies hoping to better coordinate Caribbean efforts towards sustainable development. I think sometimes as small islands, the sovereignty and the individual identity kind of outweighs our ability to pull our resources and gain increased bargaining power as a, a region in the whole. Then we got in touch with Gabriel Gay, an education advocate working to provide important opportunities for future leaders. What if we just award them for it and have really engaging story time sessions where the books like actually come to life? I think that this would really you know, change the game. So let's have a brief look at the world of youth activism in this episode of Caesar Voices. For many people, the word activism conjures up images of protests, media campaigns and NGO-led initiatives, all aimed at tackling major issues directly. But Kimar Hines is taking a slightly different approach, taking aim at underlying management structures. We found this quite interesting, so we sat down with him to get a better understanding of his mindset. So to get started, um, what is, you know, what is life currently like for you? What are you up to these days? Um, firstly, I'm a current student at the University of the West Indies, pursuing a degree in management studies. My degree is tailored towards international business and project management. On campus, I am a student leader and activist, relaying my voice to conversations not limited to the climate crisis and advocating for climate justice. Right off the bat, we learned something quite surprising about Kimar. I am a farmer, and I also engage in a bit of management consultancy, but farming is my main source of income and, and revenue right now. And I'm actually into the rearing of pigs, crops, and chickens. Learning about Kimar's work as a livestock farmer immediately brought back memories of an earlier episode of Caesar Voices, where Dr. Dale Rankin, an agricultural researcher, told us about the effects of global warming on farm animals. Right now, as we speak, many of our animals, because most of them graze in the open air without shade, are experiencing considerably high levels of heat stress. Naturally, we wanted to know if Kimar had experienced any issues himself. And, well, yeah, he, he totally has. Due to the increase in temperatures, 
sometimes how humans would catch a heat rash on the skin. Pigs sort of get the same reactions on the skin in terms of rashes. When outside it becomes extremely hot. And then as the skin becomes irritated, the pigs sort of rub the skin against the wall in an effort to relieve the itching from the um, heat. So sometimes as a farmer, it will require me to bathe the pigs a bit more often than is required so as to keep them cool and to avoid the itchy skin that is caused by the, the hot temperatures. So to combat these issues, I have invested in additional water storage units where I catch water or harvest water from the roofs rather. I use this water to bathe and cool the livestock. Um, I also have an implemented water system in place where I use particularly on hot days for short periods to prevent heat rash and heat strokes from occurring, so to speak. Oh, nice, nice. I'm liking this approach that you're taking to, to the farming process. You know, you're sort of applying your management expertise. Can you tell us more, you know, a little bit more about that? Um, how has your management education impacted your work as a farmer? Some of the things that I incorporate into the conventional farming system is a longevity plan, right? And by that, I mean, sometimes I change breeds. I find ways to feed more organic stuff at a cheaper cost because, you know, prices are continuously rising due to inflation, recessions, etc. I could never plan enough, right? Yeah. Use business intelligence programs like Power BI analytics. Um, adding to that, I try to make farming a bit more attractive and sexy uh, by using the social media to advertise products as well as showing the clients the kind of best practices we engage in to produce stock in a safe and feasible way. Um, also, as food security remains a top priority for governments and, and citizens across the region, I try to keep them in clear view so as to facilitate any, any new investments. It's always great to see young people like Kimar applying their academic knowledge to disciplines such as agriculture, which is often overlooked by the majority of educated youth in Caribbean SIDS, despite being so critical to our economies. Still, to make a bad pun, it was time to get to the meat of the matter. So if we can just sort of dial the clock back a little bit, because a lot of people seem to expect the youth especially to not care, you know? I yeah. look at somebody like you and I wonder, like, how did you get interested in activism in the first place or in you know wanting to do something about the environment and so on in my senior years as a student at the college and paris school while conducting in the field research for my school-based assessment sbas yeah. um, i think that has really developed a passion for the environment um, i began to witness some of the effects of climate change that i have first read about in text I think the first two that I saw were coastal erosion and coral bleaching that sort of heightened my awareness of the situation. Um, rolling the clock forward a bit, a few years and only being 25, I've experienced earthquakes, a volcano, a freak storm, oh, wow. <laughs> hurricanes, which have been a, a, a clear indicator to me that this is definitely a, a crucial issue. So therefore, I decided to join the fight against climate change with a new innovative management approach. I like that. Because, I mean, you know, there's this whole deal where it's like when a threat is, is a little too abstract or too distant, you know, a lot of people find it hard to really, I guess, make it real in their minds. But by all accounts, you've lived through something that almost sounds like a couple of disaster movies roll into one, which I realize is the experience of a lot of people right now. Um, as to the management approach itself, um, you know, what made you feel like applying 
you know, applying your, your activism in that area specifically? So it's as simple as this. Management really, for me, is the focal point of obtaining the sustainable development goals. Management in the context of the climate crisis can also treat specifically to our issue of limited resources, but ensuring sure. our leaders allocate them efficiently and effectively so as to minimize um, wastage, right? We know that time is not um, necessarily in our favor right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we could get beforehand more accurate details through business intelligence and analytics, therefore making the necessary adjustments in, in a time-sensitive fashion. Kimar also believes that better management practices can greatly improve the process of spreading awareness. Sometimes we tend to overlook the target audiences that we will want to disseminate information to. I know the climate crisis and stuff is something that not only affects select groups, but it affects everyone in the world as, as the climate crisis. It doesn't pick and choose who it should affect, right? So sometimes in, in managing, I think that we need to pay a bit more attention to how we sort of interact with particular groups. Not everyone is at the same educational level. Not everyone has the same access to technologies and, and stuff like that. So we need to um, formulate new strategies and plans in terms of how we, how we reach these people, how we not only reach them, but we get them to understand and to, to bring this information that we will want them to get to life, that we don't only move forward in a, 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 collective, um, in a collective body, but we achieve some of the goals that are actually, actually set in place, you know? The inherent value here is clear. As small island developing states, we really can't afford to be divided. If we truly want to make an impact, coordination is key. I think sometimes as small islands, the sovereignty and the individual identity kind of outweighs our ability to pull our resources and gain increased bargaining power as a, a region in the whole. So essentially, I think... Um, we need the persons here in the region and those in the diaspora to hop on board as soon as possible as we try to reach every audience and get them to, to absorb this crucial information, so to speak, and definitely take climate action now. Absolutely. We need all the hands on deck we can get. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Know. Boy, Kimar, I have to thank you so much for doing this. Before we go, though, um, any final thoughts, anything that you just wanted to share personally? So I definitely will want to encourage the younger persons to definitely join the fight against climate change. As most persons here in this podcast could tell that I'm not a, a science major or a science student at the current moment. And I want to tell anybody this, you know, climate change doesn't pick or choose who it, it wants to affect. So persons from any particular background of, of study could join this fight against climate change, whether it be attorney, we could focus on the policies, economists, they could focus on the economics of of the destruction that is caused, Um, the healthcare workers, whether it be doctors and stuff, you know, in terms of of disasters, sometimes persons could could get injured and we need to treat those. So the fight is inclusive of everyone here in human race, right? So I definitely want to encourage everyone here to come forward and put a hand lend your voice so that we could preserve humanity and the environment by extension. No, for sure, man. That's the strongest point ever. Um, that's what a lot of people really need to realize. You said it best. I mean, climate change is not picking its targets. Yeah. So why is it that only some of us are apparently fit to do something about it? Even people who see themselves as having no skills. I mean, 
time is a is a resource you know what i mean yeah one of the most precious commodities that is is time absolutely man absolutely after finishing up our conversation with kimar we got in touch with a spirited philanthropist who spent almost two decades of her own time changing the lives of young people across the world her name is Gabrielle Gay, and she's the founder of the Erlin Bradshaw Foundation. We have the longest, only of their kind, and most awarded education programs across the entire Caribbean and in Barbados as well, with implementation in Africa, Asia, and the Pacific. We essentially just connect students with mentorship, critical mentorship, you know, resources, tuition, we pay tuitions, we provide school uniforms, educational resources as well, um, and as, as I said, mentorship as well to over 100,000 students across the entire world. And our goal is just to revolutionize and continually revolutionize education in Barbados and across the Caribbean and across the world through the you know areas of literacy law and stem so we've been honored by the queen's commonwealth trust the queen's young leaders award program we have been honored by the world literacy foundation um the oecs you know just so many incredible honors and you know recognition and partnerships over the years but the most important thing is the work and change in the lives of you know just thousands of students across the world what what inspired you like when did you when did you decide to to really get involved my first foray into philanthropy and education leadership started at just 13 years old with wow, the Gabrielle Gay. <laughs> no, thank you. The Gabrielle Gay Award for Excellence in Reading and Literacy Mentorship Program. And basically it was just born out of the realization that, you know, my contemporaries did not enjoy reading as much as I did. I was always a voracious reader from a young age. You know, funny enough, I could read actually before I could talk. Like, that's how serious it was. Like, oh, I wow. read into books. <laughs> <laughs> I was not playing at all. So, you know, then I recognized, because, you know, everyone is different. That's the beauty of life. You know, as we say, yeah, variety is a spice of life. And unfortunately, that colloquialism is not reflected in the education system. So for me, just observing, you know, my friends and just other, as I said, my contemporaries, just literally having to be forced to read and forced to pay attention to their academic studies, you know, it just came to me like a eureka moment. You know, I said, sure. what if we just award them for it and have really engaging story time sessions where the books like actually come to life? I think that this would really, you know, change the game. And my mom, I was talking to my mom. She's always been, hi, mom, <laughs> Margaret <laughs> Gay. She has always been my 100% supporters. You know, my parents in general, my family, you know, just been always supportive. And she said, you know, yeah, totally. Let's go for it. So, you know, back then inflation, you know, fortunately was not as high as it is now. So I was actually able to just, you know, put together my meager allowance. And I actually started in five schools of awards in five schools, um, and then it just exploded organically across the intellectual landscape of Barbados because every time we would go to a school to give the award or 
do a story time test session. As you can probably tell, I'm very, you know, animated and passionate and, you know, just really bring the story to life for the fellow students. Right, then, yes. you know, the parents and, and, and the other individuals were like, okay, so why don't we have this at our school? You know, like we want this too. <laughs> it was contagious. So it was contagious. So that's how it got started just really organically. And then it just grew to the point where, of course, it rapidly outgrew our um, personal finances. And then, you know, at the time aging myself, but there was no social media on Facebook was very new um, yeah. at that time. So basically, I decided, you know, my mom and I, we got together and wrote letters to different companies. We saw that and I was just interested in helping society with regards to education. And that is how, you know, we built it out. And now, as I said, you know, reaching thousands of students and in over 118 schools across Barbados, you know, across different continents of the world. So, you know, it's just really about starting small and starting organic. And that's how it all began. I love that. And um, I, I, I really like where you're tackling the problem because I've always felt, especially as a, you know, I was one of those kids who the teachers would constantly tell my parents that I had ability, but I didn't seem motivated. And once I got older, I always felt that that was really the issue was that they weren't necessarily motivating these kids. And I really like that you've really given these, you've given incentive and you've, you've added life to the process. Yes. You know, yes. I, I can imagine you telling stories, I must say. <laughs> some interesting <laughs> yes, stories. You know, really bring it to life, man. And then and then what happened then is that by by really inculcating that love from, you know, expository aspect, children then were able to really start to visualize and recognize that, you know, you can really make these words, these words come to life like yourself, you know, mentally. And then outside of that, that program, you know, we also, the work also extends to children who are differently able as well. So we work with those schools, um, children, you know, that have, you know, sight, um, hearing um, challenges and whatnot. So there's that end of the program. And then you know, we also ensure that we connect parents as well if they're interested, because sometimes it's not always just a lack of interest. It's also genuine learning challenges, whether it be dyslexia and different things like that, that children may, uh, ADHD, that children may be suffering with that is undiagnosed. So we also connect parents with learning psychologists and whatnot if they need that. So it's just a real 360 degree complement to the current education system. And I'm really happy, you know, that it all just started with just that simple, genuine idea of let me see how I can help others enjoy something that could be a benefit to them intellectually. Is there any limit to like the age ages that you target or is this like a all the way through the education process type all of thing? All the way through. So initially when we started, uh, we started with the primary schools and then we added the secondary schools. So we award uh, the same thing. We, we, we have the education sessions but what we do is that we kind of we show them how reading literacy how law stem is actually related to the career field and the next steps of their academic journey and then we have the awards as well to award them for you know top performance and most improved performance in the cxc's of english literature and also English language. And then at the University of the West Indies, Cave Hill, um, we also are the first ever uh, 
ever award of its kind for the bachelors of um, literatures in English. So we're the highest ranking award for English literature uh, in Barbados. That's the gamut that the reading program uh, follows throughout the education system. Have you ever had anyone who the program has helped come back and maybe even participate in the program, like actually help to administer the program itself? Yes, actually, we've had, it's interesting how it works because all of our awardees are just individuals who even pass through the program. They have just just been incredible youth leaders. Like, for example, uh, there's a young gentleman, his name is Khalil Koftawala. He is one of the foremost youth leaders here uh, working with the government. He was actually the youngest person in the history of Barbados to be nominated for senator at age 18. We have thousands of awardees who've just gone on to really impact the arts um, as well as just impact each career that they've chosen within. And we do get lots of them just happy to come back. And it's funny because whenever I go to like conferences at the UN or whatnot, I end up actually working alongside young people that have passed through a lot of our programs on a lot of projects, right? That include the youth. Right. So I end up with my awardees regardless, (laughs) working on a ton of projects, whether it be for, you know, mental health, whether it be for education, it's just, or, you know, just science, you know, STEM. I always, at least in the group, we're going to have at least two, three, depending, no matter where it is or what it's about, once it's positivity, I usually find an awardee in there. So that's a really cool thing about it. So I end up, you know, working with them again to further society and also have them come back. I love just the kind of organic expansion that's going on. Yeah, there. and and, yeah. and the organic paying it forward, you know, I, I, I really Absolutely. love that. And, and a lot of them have said by being a part of the program and being, uh, you know, just seeing, you know, a young person like themselves, you know, sacrifice and give back so they could be filled and poured into, then inspire them to do the same for someone else. It really exemplifies that that old saying, you know, each one, teach one, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, Jelani, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> so what about any challenges? How, do, you, do you find any challenges when you're trying to actually, you know, run this whole thing? Oh, Absolutely. I'm really glad that you uh, asked that question because a lot of interviews tend to focus on, you know, the highlight reel of these things, which would be like the awards. (laughs) Yeah, the awards. And, uh, you know, we have a a large following on social media and all these different things. But man, the, the obstacles are insane. And the thing is too, with everything that we've done, all of our programs are the only um, one of their kind in the Caribbean, especially. And the first ones of their kind. And so what happens then is that you are combating a situation where, you know, people have never seen anything like it before. And then, of course, you're asking them, quite frankly, for funding, you know, financial resources to do something that has no track record so far. Um, (laughs) But I mean, it's a great idea. Don't get me wrong. Um, I only believe in, in calculated risks, you know. So for me, especially for the first few years of of uh, first more more than a few years i actually sacrificed a lot of my summers because what i would do is that i would work like a lot of summer jobs and i would pay to fund the programs myself because i knew once i funded it and i got it you know to where it needs to be and i had a right, record then i said there we go so 
when, you know, young people, they come to me, they're like, oh, I want to do this. And I want to, you know, I want to do what you're doing. I said, listen, you got to be literally, you have to have crazy faith because there is really a measure of sacrifice that comes into play when you have a vision that is unprecedented and never done before is bigger than you, bigger than your country, bigger than yourself. You have to be willing to sacrifice. Gabriel's years of service and sacrifice have made her an expert at working with limited resources to create windows of opportunities for others, a skill set that has most recently resulted in the creation of programs such as the FemLex cohort. So FEM um, for woman um, and LEX is Latin for law cohort, where we essentially work with the brightest minds across the Caribbean in law and politics. Young women, we bring them together from small island developing states, marginalized communities across the world, and we just put their minds to good use. So there's a different theme every year. This year is on environmental law, climate change, conservation, and what we need to do as small island developing states and just developing countries to ensure from a a legal and political policy perspective how we are safeguarding ourselves and having a seat at the table to ensure that, you know, our literal foundation, as in literally the, the earth that we're on, is not destroyed by developed countries and different factors that threaten our very livelihood and existence. So that program was started um, actually in 2020 in the pandemic. The idea came to me as a law student myself um, to assist young women in education and in law and ensure that we have a seat at the table as well. And that was difficult, Jelani. I was made redundant at my job, so finances were short. I had no idea. Struggle of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, that was the the challenges there of the pandemic. So thankfully, the Barbados Youth Business Trust understood exactly what I was trying to achieve. And they partnered with me. They're like a paragon of business and entrepreneurship across the Caribbean and in Barbados. So now, because we've partnered with them, that program for legal leaders and future politicians is actually certified. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, it's a real, it's, a, it's an example of the fact that, well, I call it a fact, but the idea, I guess, that opportunities often come disguised as problems, you know? And I love yes. the fact that you've taken that and you've yes. done so much to, <laughs> to, to boost not just the country, but the entire region, you know, yeah. the world. Thank you. Thank no, you. You've got to be crazy enough to believe you can change the world. It's a little old time. No, absolutely. Absolutely right. There's still this pervasive mentality that young people don't necessarily know what they're doing. Um, oh, and, sure. it, and Yeah, and there's just this view that Oh, that's a little bit too forward thinking because I got that a lot. Or that's too <laughs> ambitious. I hate hearing yeah, that one. Uh, that's too ambitious. Or, you know, that's not how we do things here. Um, we've never right. done that before. Uh, or you're too young or that might be too much work. You're going to hear it all. You're going to hear it all. But you have to know within yourself that this is what you want to do. This is why God placed you on this earth. Even if you're not religious, this is why you have been placed on this earth and you have that burning passion in your chest about this issue. Then it means that you have to do your research, both qualitative and quantitative, put together a great proposal, join mentorship programs like what we have at the foundation or other resources that you come across and get your message out there and get the partners to support you. I'm telling you, you're going to change your own life and you're going to change the lives of other individuals. And you will find, and this happened to me, you will find that by helping other people, 
you will end up helping yourself and you as a person will also be propelled simply by pouring that kind of positive energy into the atmosphere, into the communities uh, around your, around you and globally as well for you. Oh, that's, uh, that's wonderful advice. And in fact, Caesar can definitely um, relate to that. You know, it's kind yes. of our journey as well, you know. Um, <laughs> I should have asked you this from before, actually. Sure, it should have been fine, one of the earliest fine. questions. But what inspired you to what, what inspired the name of the foundation? I named it after my grandmother posthumously because she was actually the bastion for education in our community. She was the reason that the women in our community became educated because she was bold enough to say, you know, particularly as black women at that time in a post-colonial society, she was bold enough to say, no, um, it may not have worked for my generation, but I want my children, not just the boys, but I want my children as well, all of them to attend school, girls and boys. And I feel, you know, speaking to the other uh, mothers in the village that you guys should do it too. When she um, transitioned, we had people that we didn't even know come to us and they were literally sobbing uncontrollably because they're like, you know, she's the reason that the entire trajectory of our family's lineage has changed. Because what will happen is that particularly with girls, they would finish just up to juniors and then they would be sent off to either, you know, be maids. It's like they never got the chance to be intellectual, right? Especially as a, a young Black women, that's what they were subjected to. And I just want to make a disclaimer that there's nothing wrong with anyone who may be in custodial or, you know, maid type jobs. If you love that, go for it. Because we all have our part to play. The yeah. problem is that the system didn't allow a choice. So she stood up against that. And by doing that, now a lot of these people are, um, you know, principals, doctors, lawyers. And that's because of my granny, <laughs> um, you know, being bold enough to stand up to the system, you know, of course, and of course, the systemically racist system. At it's the on top of it all. Yes. Yep. So then that transfers to my mom who's now, you know, at the top of her field in, in the medical field, my dad as well, um, just, you know, medical professionals, that transferred to her. And then, of course, she transferred that to me. And then I, I felt it was only right. She was the root. She was the genesis of this. So I'm going to just grant her that posthumous honor. Now, imagine that. A brilliant individual, well-positioned to change literally thousands of lives through educational activism, thanks to her grandmother doing the same thing two generations earlier. If that doesn't perfectly demonstrate the power of activism to pave the way forward for Caribbean SIDS, perhaps nothing can. Anyway, that's all we have for you on this episode of Caesar Voices. We'd like to thank our guests for taking the time to share their insights with us. We'd also like to thank our funded partner, the Barbados Environment Conservation Trust, for making this episode possible. The Trust aims to help Barbados reach its national development goals by supporting local initiatives aimed at environmental sustainability. Of course, we'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Caesar Voices podcast. If you like what you've been hearing so far, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you're listening. We'd also like to remind you that you can visit our website, caesarjournal.org slash donations to lend your financial support or join our monthly donor club on Patreon and gain access to exclusive content or even be featured in an episode of our podcast just click the link in the description 
you'd like to sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, please click on our corporate link to learn more. <laughs>